new series today. I told you last week. Anybody ever heard of the, uh, the, the company called 23andMe? Everybody, yeah, or maybe you've heard of Ancestry.com. Right? Anybody, any, is anybody that's a customer of one of those companies? Yeah, okay, what's one? Okay, that's good. At least one, maybe some more. But basically what it is, you can spit in a cup, right? Not a dip spit, but just regular spit. You spit in a cup. That's, that's like a pet peeve of mine. People leave those dip cups around. You, know, you, you think it's Pepsi and it's not. But you can, uh, you spit, you send your saliva in, and you send in 23andMe, and you can learn things about yourself. And so some of the things when you do this 23andMe or Ancestry, you can find out that, you know, do I have certain health conditions that maybe I'm predisposed to certain diseases? Uh, You might find that, oh, I didn't realize I was 22% German and 15% African American and and 32% Israeli and you find out, and some things you may not want to know. Like, if you're Polish, I didn't say Polish, but, yeah. <laughs> Is there any Polish people? I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry if I did. So that was always, uh, when I was a kid, I guess, probably, probably not politically correct today, but Kristen says, take your foot out of your mouth. Uh, but you can find out things about your, your heritage. You can find out things about your family and different traits that run in your family and, and things like that. And so as I was a few months ago, I was really asking the Lord for 2023, what could we talk about? And, and he just gave me this thought of 23 and me, but what we're going to talk about is 23 and we. See, the 23 and me comes from this, that there's 23 sets of chromosomes in the nucleus of every cell in your body. And those 22 of those 23 are numbered. And the last set of that 23 is lettered X and Y. It tells you if you're a boy and a girl. No, it doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It's your chromosome that defines what you are. It's the way you were born. That will step on some. I better not even go there. But here's what I want to tell you today. See, when you look at these things like 23andMe or Ancestry, you might say, you know what? I have... Uh, I have diabetes runs in my family. Or I've got uh, heart disease runs in my family. Now, the problem is nobody runs in your family. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Two for two. Your DNA and my DNA are different, right? My great-grandfather passed something down to my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my mom and dad, and now to me. But our spiritual DNA, it's not 23 and me, it's 23 and we. Because we have the DNA of Jesus. We have spiritual DNA that's the same. It says that whoever is born of God, his seed, his sperm remains in him. And that when you accept Jesus, you get some new DNA. Your old DNA doesn't exist. It's not like, well, I have this, and you have that, and she has that. No, we have the DNA of Jesus. And there is, look at this, there is no hereditary diseases coming from the throne of Jesus. There is no predisposition to certain addictions coming from Jesus. 
that there is no, like, oh, my grandfather was a gambler. My dad was a gambler. I'm a gambler. Jesus wasn't. You have the DNA. I have the DNA of Jesus Christ. And his DNA is in me. If you've accepted him, his DNA is in you. God, do you ever hear this? God does not have grandchildren. God has children. We're all sons and daughters. I have a direct bloodline to the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. And what I want to talk about the next few weeks is what this DNA looks like. So the title of the series is called 23 and We Discovering Our Spiritual DNA. Discovering Our Spiritual DNA. I can promise you this. You may not like looking up your family tree, but you will like this one. There's nothing hidden that you're going to find out that you're going to be disappointed about. You might rediscover some things, you might learn some new things, but it's all good. There's nothing bad that comes from the result of you being connected to Jesus Christ. It's all good. It's all good. I promise you that. So we're going to read today. So when you get saved... We talk about this verse a lot. It's probably one of my favorite verses. Not a verse I want to preach on today, but I just want to, I just want to talk about a word in this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17, and the first part of verse 18 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And verse 18 says this, now all things are of, oh, it's not up there. <laughs> All right, come on, let's go. Next slide. All things are of God. So when it says, behold, all things have become new, there's a part of you on the inside. The old man is dead. You have a brand new spirit on the inside of you. It's brand new. It's made in the image of God. It says, all things have become new, and all things are of God. So there's a God thing, a God kind of you on the inside. I guess we're not having any luck here on the slides. So the the word I want to focus on in that, it says all things have become new. You are a new creation. And so for the new year, I want to focus on this word new. It's the Greek word kainos. Now there's other Greek words for that mean new. There's, There's neos that means, do you guys see the little kids up here today? It means young. It means new, as in young, as in age. But the word kainos in the Greek, it means something different. It means of a new kind. It means unprecedented. It means novel. You remember when coronavirus was a new thing? What did they call it? They called it a novel. It wasn't because it was a book. The word novel... It means like something that had never existed before. It was a new strain of virus. And so when the Bible says that you become a new creation, you become something that's unprecedented. It's new. It's unheard of. Like it didn't exist before. And when you become new, see, it's not like you're not version 2.0 of yourself. Like the old me was bad. I don't need version 2 and version 3. Right? The best thing that could have happened to me was version one died. And now I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. 
I'm unprecedented. I'm novel. I'm unheard of. And so are you. And so throughout the Bible, we see this word new. And, and, and it's used many different times. So what I want to talk about today is the new creation. I'm sorry, the new covenant. Because, because everything in our new life with Jesus starts with the new covenant. If, if it wasn't for the new covenant, we wouldn't be where we are today. We, we, we would be stuck in something that's, that's less than. And so over the next few weeks, we got Seth's going to bring a message and, and Pastor Phil and myself, but we're going to look at some, new, some things. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, kainos, to love one another as, as I have loved you. He, he talks about that we're new creations. We're going to look at that. He said, those that believe in me will speak with New tongues, kainos, an unprecedented, different kind of tongue. He said that you will get a new name. Wasn't that great? You get a name that didn't exist before. Like, you get, you get named something different. So whatever somebody called you in the past, you get a new name. That there is a new heaven and a new earth coming one day, and a new Jerusalem that's going to descend. So we're kind of going to finish the series on the end times. So we're going to look through all this thing starting at the new covenant to the new heaven and earth and really look at some of the things that really define who we are. I think it's going to be exciting. I promise you, you're going to like it. And if you don't, you can take it up with the guy that wrote the book because I didn't write it. Somebody else did. His name's the Holy Spirit. All right, so I guess we're going to have to go old school. Who has their Bibles? I'll start with a sword drill. I'm just kidding. There we go. See, it's kind, of, it's kind of cheating when you have a sword drill on your phone. Because you just kind of like, let's see, go here. We're going to go to Hebrews. Uh, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 8 today, verses 6 through 13. I'm going to have to go old school preaching. I don't have my, I don't have my, here we go, get something going. So Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to read verses, let's just read 6 through 13. Huh? Chapter 8. See, I was just seeing, I was seeing how your prophetic gifting was working, and you're actually, you're right spot on. I love this. See, I said at 6, you knew I meant 8. Did I say 8? I said 8. See, I was just seeing. You guys awake? 6 or 8, what is it? We could do 6 too if you want to do 6. All right, chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. So we're going to talk about new covenant today. Though a, a lot of times when we think of covenant, you know, it's not, it's not something that's maybe uh, as common today. And so a covenant is like a contract, but, but it's a stronger than a contract. It's an agreement. It, it can mean testament. Um, the, probably the closest thing we would have today is when somebody has a will. And it really gives the intentions of what they want done. And so all through the Bible, we see God making covenants with mankind. And we see, you know, there was, there's really two main covenants uh, that, that really we see in the New Testament. It talks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant being the Mosaic Covenant, or the Covenant of the Law. And then the New Covenant we're going to look at today is called the Covenant of Grace. And along, we've had all these other different covenants. We had uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the covenant God made with Adam, the Adamic covenant, where basically was that 
You shall have dominion on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. All that. He had the, we, had the, uh, we had the Mosaic covenant that God made with, with Moses that was uh, what we call the law. There was the Noahic covenant where God made a, a covenant with Noah. And he said, I will put a rainbow in the sky and I'll never uh, kill all the, everything on the earth again with a flood. There was the Davidic covenant where God said, out of your line will come the Messiah. And so we have these covenants, but some are blood covenants, some are not. So we're going to look at this today. But, but God has a covenant for us today, and it's called the new covenant. It's a better covenant. You know, we sang earlier, we said that Jesus, there's nobody better. Well, Jesus' covenant, there's nothing better. It's the better covenant. It's the best covenant. Like, it's why we can do what we do today. So let's go ahead and we'll go to Hebrews chapter 6. Here we go. Look at this. I thought I was going to have to actually read from, I can't see my Bible, such small print. Uh, it says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a, say this, better covenant. So for right out the gate, we hear that it's, it's a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So think of it like this. So let's just use the word contract, although I don't like contract, but let's just say you worked for a company, and when you worked, you had, a, you had like an employment contract, right? And one day, your boss came, or the owner came, and said, hey, we want to make a new contract with you. And what's the first thing you do? You're like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to take it on the chin somewhere. But the, but, but the boss says this. He says, look, right now you're only getting paid for what you sell but we want to pay you a salary, and we're going to pay you double what you earned last year. And oh, by the way, right now we don't match anything on your health insurance. We're going to pay all of your health insurance. And, and, and you don't have an office, but we're going to give you an office with a view. And we're going to give you an additional two weeks of PTO, and, and we're going to let you kind of have flex time, kind of come and go as you want. And even if you don't show up, we're still going to pay you. Now, this isn't me, okay? I just, I, I just, I'm just saying, like, there's a fictitious boss out there like this. And he said, you know the three-strike rule, like, you get a verbal, then you get a first warning, and then you're out the door? That's gone. You get unlimited second chances. Do you want to sign this contract, or do you want to keep your old contract? Oh, oh yeah, sign me up. Why? Because it's better. It's new. This thing didn't exist before, and it probably never will, but just kidding. But he said, do you want to sign this one, or do you want to sign the old one? And what happens a lot of time in the church today is we want to sign the old contract and forget that there's something better that Jesus has already signed for us, he's already paid for it for us, and it's a done deal. So he says he's become a mediator, a go-between, a, a, a surety. Some translations say guarantee. He's the one that actually guarantees the contract. Like, I don't have to guarantee the contract. He does. He says a mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. We're going to find out what that means in a minute. All right, next slide. It says, for if that first covenant had been flawless then no place would have been sought for a second. So what he's saying is he said the first covenant, the old covenant, had some issues. It had faults. Well, the fault wasn't with the law. 
The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. He said, the law was good. The law was just. The law was holy. No problem with the law. The problem with the law was the people. Like you couldn't keep it. Like don't wear mixed clothing. Like if you got cotton and polyester on, you're done. Not that I wear polyester, but maybe you do. Like it was a big thing when I was a kid. My, my mom used to make me a new polyester suit every Easter. Like had the, had the old pattern out of paper, and she'd cut that thing out, and I'd wear it till I expanded it, and then she'd make me a new one. It's good. Polyester was good for that. You know, you could grow into it. You can't eat bacon. Like, come on. Like, I had some bacon ice cream the other day. Bacon, anything. But the problem with the law is you couldn't keep it. See, it said, if the first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them. See, the problem with the law was man's inability to keep it. Still can't keep it, I heard somebody just say. You can't keep it. It's not just the Ten Commandments, it's 613 do's and don'ts. And the law demanded perfection. God said this, or Moses recorded it in Deuteronomy 28, he says, if you obey all the commandments that I gave you this day, then all these blessings will follow you. But if you don't obey all, then all these curses will come upon you. See, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to keep 612 out of 613. No, it was perfection. And so the law never worked because you couldn't keep it. It was impossible. But finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now, I just want to point out, this, you can read this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming. The Lord says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Next slide. Uh, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them. Do you remember when God brings Israel, Moses leads Israel out of, out of Egypt, and, and uh, they go to Mount Sinai, and Moses gets the commandments, and he reads them to the people. And what do they say? All that the Lord has said, we will do. And about two clicks later, they're making a golden calf. Yeah. All that God says we will do. They didn't. And they couldn't. And God says, I'm making a new covenant, not like the old covenant. So we need to learn what the difference is. Because the new one's better. The new one's unprecedented. The new one's not like anything that's ever existed before. It says, they didn't continue in my covenant, so I disregarded them, says the Lord. Next slide. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We're going to come back through this. Let's just go ahead and read through these. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read from here. Verse 11 says this, says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. End of quote. In that he says, new, a new covenant, he has made the first one, what? 
obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete, growing old, is ready to vanish away? I got a surprise. Anybody ever hear of Eric Clapton? Kristen said no one would ever know who Eric Clapton. Who, who knows who Eric Clapton is? Oh, see, okay. All right. I'm going to give you guys a free Eric Clapton download today, okay? All right, who wants it? Here it is. This was recorded in 1990 and 1991 in London. It's called Eric Clapton 24 Nights. It is top of the line, brand new cassette. Yes. Kids are looking at me like, what in the world is that? It's almost an, I got eight tracks too. I know, you know, actually I thought Don would want this, so. There you go. Because Don's the only guy here who still has a cassette player. <laughs> You're welcome. When the, D, when the CD came out, and then the, the first downloads came out, and now we have music anytime that we want it. What's become of the cassette tape? Obsolete. But then there are people that still go back to them. Kind of like Christians in the church. No, I'm just kidding. I, if I had a cassette player, I, 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 had to, I, I looked through my old box of cassettes today to see what would be appropriate to bring to church. Because, <laughs> like Def Leppard and Poison and all, it just, I thought I'd probably stick with something like neutral, like Eric Clapton. And I don't know why I'm keeping here. I'm confessing my sins. Thank God for the blood. <laughs> Jesus knew I would say that 2,000 years ago. But he says, in that he said a new covenant, an unprecedented covenant, uh, an unheard of, brand new type of covenant, he's now made the old one obsolete. You know, if I, if I brought the old cell phone, anybody remember the cell Like, you had to like, carry on a back, like, yeah, you remember those with a handle? obsolete like what would you do with it like except maybe like play telephone or something you can't it doesn't even dial and he says that the new covenant is like that to the old like it's not like the new covenant's not like it's not like the iphone 13 and 12 and 11 and it's not a new version it's not an old covenant 3.0 4.0 it's obsolete the new has made the old one obsolete. And so there's just four things I want to quickly look at today uh, and just how they pertain to, to us and our DNA, right? And how, how, it, how it affects us and how it spiritually changes us. So four things we're going to look at in this passage real quick. One is that the, old, the new covenant, we know it's better, but it's a unilateral covenant. So don't get hung up on that word. Anybody know what a unicycle is? What's a unicycle? Anybody ever ridden a unicycle? No, of course not. We typically ride a what? A bicycle. So it's a unilateral, meaning one. It's an internal covenant. It's internal. 
it's um, universal is the word I was looking for. I was thinking all-inclusive. It's universal. And I don't, want to, I don't want you to think, I do not believe in universal salvation. It's not talking about that. It's just available to anybody that says yes. Universal, and it's also eternal. So unilateral, internal, universal, and eternal. We're going to look at those real quick, and we'll see how it impacts who we are. You guys ready? Okay. Unilateral. So think, it says this is, listen to this. I want to read this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to overemphasize some words. So what we need to know is the old covenant was a bilateral covenant, right? You know what, bi, so bilateral means what? Two. Think of this. Have you ever heard of an if-then statement? If-then means, hey, Kristen, if you're really nice to me this week, I might, then I'll probably bring you flowers on Friday night. Actually, see, that's the old covenant. Aren't you glad I don't live? A, see, the new covenant's like, baby, I love you so much, flowers are coming. And you don't have to do anything. You don't want flowers. Kristen said, pizza. Oh, yeah, pizza. That's my woman right there. I don't want no flowers. I can't eat flowers. So the old covenant was like this. God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. It's if then. It's conditional. Like, I had to keep my part. He would keep his part. The new covenant's like not like that. The new covenant is unilateral. It's unconditional. I don't have to do anything other than believe. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to perform. I, 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 like, it's unlimited second chances, too. That, that God is always ready to give you another chance. See, because the new covenant is not based on what I do, ever. I can't earn God's blessing. I can't earn God's favor. He just gives it to me by grace. And unilateral is this. It's that he is the one that guarantees the covenant. If you remember when God, do you remember when God made a covenant with Moses? I'm sorry, no, uh, hello, Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, go get, go get a goat and a ram and a bullock and go get a turtle dove and a pigeon, and I want you to bring them here, and I want you to cut the three animals, and not, but not cut the, the, the two birds, and I want you to lay their halves like this. Now, back then, people would make a blood covenant, and they'd cut these animals, and the blood would be all around, and they would walk between the pieces of flesh and establish a blood covenant between two families. But when God makes a covenant with, with Abraham, it's not, a, it's not an if-then. It's not a bilateral covenant. It's a covenant where God actually puts Abraham to sleep. In verse 12 of Genesis 15, it says, A deep sleep fell on Abraham. And here shows up God. It says God, in the form of a smoking oven and a fiery torch... Think of, the, old, think of the, the children of Israel. We had a cloud by day and a fire by night. So here's God putting Abraham to sleep and walking in the midst of these cut animals by himself, guaranteeing the, the covenant that he's making with Abraham. It's a unilateral covenant. It's got one person guaranteeing it, and that's God. And when God makes a promise, 
All his promises in him are yes and amen. You can count on it. So here's what he says in the new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and lawless deeds, I will. How many you wills are in there? None. There's just, it's what he does. And actually, it's what he did through Jesus. The only you in there is what? You shall be, not you shall do. So when God does his part in the new covenant, what do I get to be? His what? His peep. Like, don't call me your peeps. Like, don't, oh yeah, I'm my, my, my peeps. No. I'm God's peep. I'm his people. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, and you shall be. That word people means tribe. It means kindred. It means a kind. I'm of the God kind. I'm of the God kindred. I'm in God's tribe. I'm God's peep. Say this. I'm God's peep. You ain't your buddy's peep. You're not your spouse's peep. You're God's peep. Because he cut a covenant, he keeps the covenant, and all you do is receive it. He does, he does, he does, he does, you be. How hard is it to be? See, if he's my God, and I'm his peep, when I'm sick, he's my healer. When I need something, he's my provider. When I'm lost, he's my wisdom, he's my direction. He is my God. It's unilateral. Say this. It's not based on me. It's based on what he did. It's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus never fumbled the ball. Ever. Never messed up. Second thing. Next. It's internal. He says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Where was the old covenant written? Stone. Right? It was written on tablets. Both times. And now God says, I'm not going to write them on tablets anymore. I'm not gonna, it's not going to be external. I'm putting my law right here. I'm putting my law right here. And what he's writing, he's not writing the 613 laws on the inside of you. Now, it does say laws plural. The only laws that I see in the New Testament, Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 3, he mentions the law of faith. When you accept Jesus, you have a natural propensity for the impossible. Like it's part of your DNA. Like God puts on the inside of you the law of faith. And the things that seem impossible only seem impossible. They're not. Because God puts in you this ability to believe. And I don't care what I see. I don't care what I'm going through. That it may look bad. It may feel bad. 
but God says all things are possible to those who believe. When, when, the, when the disciples are coming off the, the mountain and the Father brings His Son up to Jesus and He says, I brought Him to your disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out. If you can do anything... Jesus says, if I can do anything, he says, all things are possible to those who believe. And when you accept Jesus, he puts in you, your DNA is to believe for the impossible. That we don't let what we see determine what we do. See, I I don't believe in, in, like I've said before, like it's not a big deal to say you're sick. I don't believe you can. So what? If I'm sick, I'm sick. I just don't let my sickness dictate what I do because I operate under a higher law. Right? I don't believe, oh, you said sick, you're going to be sick. No, I don't care, I'm sick, so what? I might be sick in the natural, but in the spirit realm, my DNA says I am healed. That by his stripes I am healed. And I will believe the impossible until I see it come to pass right here. That's part of my DNA. He says, I'll put in you the law of faith. I'm going to put in you the law of love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Like, it used to be this. It used to be, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I get that. But now Jesus says, I'm, I'm establishing a new one, an unprecedented one, a different one. I've given you the example. I've showed you what love looks like. Now I want you to do something new. I want you to love one another the way I loved you. See, the law can do this. The law can tell me not to commit adultery, but the law can't make me love my wife the way Christ loved the church. Only grace can do that. The law can tell me to be nice to my my, my neighbor, but the law can't make me love my enemy. The law can tell me I need to tithe, but only grace will tell me, hey, you need to give more than that. See, the the law can tell you to do, hey, thou shalt not, what, lie. But only grace will get you to tell the... Do you know you can, like, not... So I made made a, a... I don't know what you call it. I was good at not lying. I have any good not liars here? I just didn't tell the whole truth, right? You didn't ask me enough questions. Like 20 years after I got out of my parents' house, they're like, why didn't you tell us that? Well, you didn't ask me enough questions. I'm not going to volunteer any information. Why would I? Self-incrimination, not going to go there. But see, grace, the spirit of truth, will allow me to speak truth in love. See, it's not just not lying, it's being able to speak truth in a spirit of love. The law can't do any of that. See, the law only had a purpose. The purpose was to, it says in Galatians 3, I think verse 27, it says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. It could just bring us there. It couldn't do anything. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, he says, I wouldn't have known sin except for the law. Like, the law showed me what was right and wrong. The law brought me to Jesus, but the law can't change me. And the law won't change you. You can spend the rest of your life trying to keep it. Good luck. But if you want true change in your life, invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus in. 
gets some God DNA on the inside of you. He puts it on the inside. See, the, the, the law can only make me good on the outside. Jesus makes me clean and good inside. It's unilateral. It's based on what He did. It's internal that He puts His law now in me. He puts His laws in me. See, I... I let me just say this. When God prompts you to do something, walk it out. If God says, hey, I want you to bless that person, do it. If God says, hey, I want you to pray for that person, do it. That's being led by grace. That's being led by the person of Jesus. So I don't need this list. Oh, you better get up and you, you got you to pray for 15 people today for 27 minutes. No. Pray without ceasing. Be in an attitude of prayer all day. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you during the day. Pray for them. Pray for her. Pray for this person. Help this person out. Do that. That's the covenant of grace. See, grace actually, grace is actually a harder law to keep. Actually, when Jesus came, He says, the law says, thou shalt not, what? Commit adultery. I say to you, for him to even look after a woman, to lust after her, has committed adultery in his heart. Jesus says, the law says, uh, do good to your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. So Jesus, when he brings in grace, he actually brings a higher standard, if you can imagine that. But the difference, even though the standard's higher, the power <laughs> is unlimited. The ability to do it comes with this covenant that wasn't with the old covenant. It's in you. Universal. Now, there's a, there's a heresy called universal salvation. I don't believe in it. I don't, it says that even demons and the devil eventually get saved. That is a lie from hell. The lake of fire was made for, for the devil and the demons, and unfortunately those people that don't accept Jesus will go to a place that was never made for them. However, if you accept Jesus, here's what it says. It says, none of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, know the Lord, <clears throat> for all shall know me. All shall know me, from the least to the greatest. You don't have to go to your pastor to hear from the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to a prophet. You don't have to go to a teacher. Now, this does not mean that we don't need teachers in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't need prophets and apostles and the fivefold ministry gifts. It means this. That when you accept Jesus, it's universal that you get the same Holy Spirit that I get. When, Jesus, when, when, when tongues of fire were divided on the 120 in Acts 2, they all got the same fire. You can't like say, well, here's like 50% fire and 20% and 30 No. When it's divided, fire has the same properties within itself. And what goes in you is what goes in me. We all get the same. He, Jesus, or John says this. Remember John that talked about uh, love? Which, 1 John 2.27, he says, But the anointing, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that abides in you will teach you what? All things. And you will have no need for any man to teach you. <clears throat> when I, 
Anybody go to Washington Junior High back in the 80s? I, <laughs> not that old. <clears throat> I did. Well, back then, probably they don't do this today, because this is probably like, but back then you got put in a section. Anybody remember sections? Section 1 meant you were really smart. Section 12 meant you were not that smart. And the Section 1 kids and the Section 2 kids got all the good teachers. And the Section 11, 10, 11, 12, they got all the bad teachers. And then there was like, if you're good at sports, you got the football coach was your, your phys ed teacher. And if you were a, a bum, you got like the English teacher was your phys ed teacher. Like, they probably don't do that today, but that's what they did when I went to school. <clears throat> I was at Chick-fil-A last week, and I ran into one of my teachers. I didn't recognize him at first. This guy's 90 years old. He, he comes up. He's there. <clears throat> he's eating angel's food. Chick-fil-A sandwich. <clears throat> it's like manna. <clears throat> and he says, this guy's 90. He goes, Freddie, you got your homework done? <laughs> I haven't seen this guy since the eighth grade. I was like, oh, I, I, then I recognized him. So I'm telling somebody that the other day. Hey, I saw uh, teacher so-and-so. And they're like, oh, you must have been in the smart class. See, there was a distinction that the smart people or the not-so-smart people got different teachers. In your DNA, you get the same teacher. In the body of Christ, you get the same teacher. You get the same Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're, a, if you're a 1 out of 10. I don't care if you're a 10 out of 10. So you might say, well, I, don't, I, I can't comprehend the Bible. I can't understand it. Well, get a version you can understand. Because it doesn't matter what version you read. you got the author on the inside. you got the one that wrote the book. See, my, my teacher is the one that wrote the Bible. I'm not relying on somebody's translation. I like the new King James. So what? It's what I like. But my teacher is the same teacher you have. And John says this. He says, the anointing that remains, the anointing that abides in you, is this, it, it teaches you all things. And you have no need that any other man teach you. Now that doesn't mean that we come out from under authority Within God-given authority, there's authority, there's submission, there's all those things. But you have the same teacher. Right now, I need a God that will heal my voice. Here we go. It's called a lifesaver. I don't know about that. Come on, Jesus, let's go. All right, one more. <clears throat> Last one. It's eternal. This is kind of like, <clears throat> this is what makes the whole new covenant work. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That word for is the same as the word because. All those things that he just said happen because I will be merciful 
to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. Now in brackets I put never, no, never. Because it doesn't say eternal there. But in the Greek, <clears throat> that word no is actually two words. And they're ume. Ume is a double negative. Like you're taught in English, don't say double negatives. I can't not. Like we don't say that. But in the Greek, when you use a double negative, it actually enforces it even more. And when it says no and uses ume, it means never, no, never. And when God says this, he says, their sins and iniquities, I will never, no, never remember again. See, it's not that God got soft on sin. He didn't. God hates sin. God hates sin. Sin will destroy your life. Sin is an open door to the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus made a way to close that door. See, it wasn't that God forgot about your sin. It doesn't say, I will forget their sin. He says, I will remember it no more. And somehow God, who is all-knowing, somehow clicks something in his brain and says, I choose not to remember that. Because he knows everything, but he chooses to not remember it. The reason he cannot remember it, because there was one day One day, Jesus is on the cross and he remembered every sin. He remembered every sin before the cross all the way back to Adam. He remembered every sin up till today and he remembered every sin that will ever take place till the end of the earth. He thought about every one and he put them on Jesus. So don't think God got soft on sin. He hates sin. He hates sin so much, he put every single one of them on his son. And then his son died for you so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty that you deserve to pay. It says at the end of Romans 3, he was delivered up for our offenses but he was raised up for our justification. See, how do I know God accepted the payment? How do I know Jesus really paid for my sin? How do you know when somebody gets out of jail? You see him on the street. How do I know God accepted the payment when Jesus died? He was raised up for my justification. And the fact that he's seated in the heavenlies right now is proof that God accepted that payment.